Hey everyone, welcome to the Grace Capital City podcast. We're a local church in the city of Washington, D.C., and our vision is to see God's kingdom come through worship, family, and justice. If you're in the area or you want to find out more about our church, just go to gracecapitalcity.com and we pray that you are encouraged and blessed by this week's message. so good to be with you guys. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9. If you have a Bible app, partial credit, turn to Luke chapter 9. No, it counts. It all counts. Just joking. Luke chapter 9. If, if you're a guest here tonight, we, we've been journeying through the gospel of Luke. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, which is a fun story. That a lot of uh, theologians talk about five major milestones in the life and ministry of Jesus. Those are baptism, transfiguration, crucifixion, (laughs) resurrection, and ascension. I think that's five, right? Uh, So tonight we're dealing with one of the big five. This is um, one of the pinnacle moments where Jesus reveals his identity. We learn something about who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. Um, But before we get to Luke 9, just kind of keep your Bible open there, and we'll get to that in just a second. I want to recap us a little bit, because we are skipping ahead some chapters from where we were last week. So recap on where we've been in this series so far. Week 1, Pastor Olu taught us on the the kind of precursor to the birth of Jesus. So really it was the, the prophecies that were given to Mary and Elizabeth about these two sons who would be born, Jesus and John the Baptist. Week two, Pastor Holly talked about the childhood of Jesus. So Luke's gospel is the only account we have of Jesus as a child. And the the story is essentially he runs away from his parents to the temple. So great kid. Um, He was a great kid, apparently. Um, Last week, I taught from John 3 on John the Baptist and the role that John the Baptist had in preparing the hearts of the people to receive the kingdom of God. So that's where we've been in our teaching so far. From, from that moment, we move into some really pinnacle kind of markers in Jesus' ministry. So we have the baptism of Jesus. Of course, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River uh, by his cousin John. That's where the father speaks identity over the son, says, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Jesus comes out of the baptism and immediately is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert. And he spends 40 days fasting in the desert. During that time, the enemy comes against him, and we have the three temptations. A temptation of appetite, turn these stones into bread. A temptation of approval, throw yourself off this cliff, see if the angels, see if the Father will save you. And then finally, a temptation of ambition, Claim the kingdoms of the world for yourself, right? The enemy comes against him in three different ways. And Jesus then comes out of the desert, and it says he comes out in the power of the Spirit. So from that moment, Jesus returns back to Nazareth. And Nazareth is his hometown. Maybe we can pull that map up. I'm going to refer to this a couple of times. So you can see Nazareth there on the map where that is. Nazareth, of course, is where Jesus was raised as a child. It's a place where uh, people are familiar with Jesus. They knew him as a child. They knew him as an awkward middle schooler. 
they know him now as an adult. And Jesus goes straight to the synagogue and he makes a very key declaration in that moment. I want to show you this. Luke 4, 18 and 19. This is what Jesus does, what he says in the synagogue. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is one of the most famous prophecies of Isaiah. Jesus walks into the synagogue of Nazareth. Remember, his hometown, place where he knows him, pulls out the Isaiah scroll, reads it, and then essentially says, and hey guys, that's me. This this prophecy that you've been sitting on for the last 1,000 years, this is me. I am fulfilling this prophecy. And not, I guess, not too surprisingly, the people are mad. (laughs) They don't like it. In fact, they're so mad, they drag him to the top of a cliff, and they're going to throw him off a cliff, but Jesus is God, and so he's just like, no, that's not going to happen. And he walks away through them. Now, wisely, I guess at some level, Jesus says, okay, I'm not going to base my ministry in Nazareth because they're going to throw me off a cliff. I'm going to base my ministry in Capernaum. Throw that map up again. So he moves to this little town called Capernaum, which is by the Sea of Galilee up there, just north of the Sea of Galilee. He's in the region of Galilee. And this is where about 80% of Jesus' miracles and ministry takes place, all within that geographic region of the Sea of Galilee. And what he begins to do from Luke chapter 4 right through to Luke chapter 8 is he begins to live into the prophecy, okay? So there's this this huge acceleration in miraculous activity. He begins healing people just left and right. Talks about many, many people. This is the time where the story of uh, the, the paralyzed man who gets lowered through the ceiling. Remember that story? All right, that happens in that period. There's, there's a uh, casting out of evil demons. There's... A a man with leprosy who's healed. All these healings. And everything Jesus is doing is part of him claiming the Isaiah prophecy. Right? It's him saying, this is me living out this revelation. This is who I am. This is the freedom and and, and the, the, the lifting up of the oppressed that he's showing people what it actually looks like. And he does it in other ways as well. It's not just kind of miraculous healings. He begins to gather people to himself. So he, in a sense, he forms a new Israel. He, he gathers 12 disciples that represent the 12 tribes. One of those disciples happens to be a tax collector, right? So, so he's gathering people to himself. He's expanding the, the circle of who is invited to enter into this new kingdom. He gathers women who have been caught up in prostitution, right? People you would never be seen with, outcasts, the poor, the broken. He's gathering them in and saying, hey, this is what my new kingdom looks like, and all are invited to experience it. So that little kind of season there that all happens all around the Sea of Galilee, it culminates in what we're talking about tonight, and that is Luke chapter 9. And it's kind of a, a, a turning point that happens here, where Jesus is concluding his ministry around the region of Galilee, and he's beginning his journey towards Jerusalem, um, And so I I want to read to us from Luke 9, verses 28 through to 36 here. 
It says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Um, This is, by all measurements, this is a pretty epic story, right? I mean, this is Pretty incredible what is happening here. Essentially, Jesus is taking his little huddle. Remember, Jesus has the 12, but then he also has the three, right? The inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. And they're going on a prayer walk. And so he takes them up Mount Tabor. And you can see that there. Mount Tabor is is where the, the mountain they're climbing, still in the region of Galilee. He takes them up Mount Tabor, and all of a sudden, there is this huge lights display, this, this massive epic display of radiation. Um, it, it says Jesus starts glowing, um, radiating light, like he's glowing. I, I, was, I was thinking like after three months of winter, I can kind of relate to that a little bit. Um, my European tan is at full effect by about mid-February. But apparently this particular glow is a little more than just like I haven't seen the sun for a while. This is, it says it's shining as bright as lightning, okay? So this is a pretty epic scene, like, like turn your eyes kind of scene. And as if the scene isn't dramatic enough, all of a sudden, two men just manifest in front of them. But they're not two regular men, it's Moses and Elijah, like two of the most famous characters of the Old Testament, rise from the dead and manifest on this mountain There's crazy light, there's radiation, there's glowing Jesus and Moses and Elijah are standing there. Now, like, this is is either, like, the craziest fever dream that they've ever had um, or something really significant is going on here, okay? And my favorite part of the story, though, this is my favorite part. Have a look at verse 32, if you have it still open. My favorite part, it says, uh, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, (laughs) I mean, that's so good. It's like Jesus is glowing in front of them. Moses and Elijah just rose from the dead. And they're just like, oh, I, I did not get my eight hours last night. <laughs> I, I really need a nap. I mean, this is great, but I'm so tired, right? I am so tired. I love that Luke is like, Peter and his companions, they're very sleepy right now. It's like, as you would be. <laughs> So this is, this is a pretty dramatic scene. Um, Moses and Elijah are back, apparently, for at least for one night only, grand dramatic appearance. And there are clearly some really important things that are being highlighted here. The fact that Moses and Elijah are appearing with Jesus on this mountain 
is telling us something. And there's some really significant things that are being revealed here. Some of them uh, may be obvious to us. Some of them are perhaps less obvious. But let's kind of work our way through a little bit so we understand the significance of this. Um, and you can take the map down now, Brian. You can go to the, back to the other slide. First of all, first of all, we have Elijah. Okay, So Elijah manifests. He, he, he's there on the mountain, Mount Tabor. Elijah was, of course, the most famous of the Old Testament prophets. He is part of a lineage of Old Testament prophets who, were, who become almost like a, a mouthpiece for God, usually to bring some level of correction to Israel. So they were coming and they were saying, hey, stop worshiping idols or stop doing the thing you're doing. Turn back to Yahweh, repent. You know, they, these, these prophets would come in. But another thing the prophets would do, and a very consistent theme throughout all the Old Testament prophecy was the theme of messianic fulfillment, right? They were constantly pointing towards a day when a Messiah would come and bring order to all the chaos. When a Messiah would come and things would be set right, right? There would be one who would come and bring things together and a new kingdom would be established on the earth. This was constantly being prophesied about throughout all the Old Testament prophecies. In fact, Jesus, when he read Isaiah 61 back in the synagogue in Nazareth, that's what he's doing. He's reading one of these messianic prophecies. So the fact that the greatest of the Old Testament prophets appears with Jesus on this mountain, it means something, doesn't it? It's telling us something. It was like, okay, you should probably pay attention to this. Wake up, Peter, like poke that guy, you know. So we have Elijah, and then we have Moses. Now, Moses is famous for a few things, but one of the things Moses is most famous for is Moses is the one through whom God speaks the law. So God gives the law to Moses, and in fact, Moses' name becomes almost synonymous with the law, so much so that they they talk about it as the Mosaic law, right? That's describing that it was, was the law of Moses, okay? So when people would hear about Moses' name, that was almost kind of one for one with talking about the law. So the fact that Moses is appearing with Jesus, the man who God used to establish the law, this means something, right? You have Elijah, this means something. Moses, this means something. What does it mean? And fortunately for us, Jesus tells us exactly what it means. And he tells us in Matthew 5, verse 17. And he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. I have come to fulfill the law. And Jesus has come to fulfill the prophets, right? This epic visual display on the Mount of Transfiguration is telling us that in Jesus, all the messianic prophecies have been fulfilled. All right, the time of waiting is over. The time of fulfillment has come. Everything that was talked about in Isaiah 61 is now being, being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the waiting. I, I remember um, last year when Olo and I were in Israel and we were on the Sea of Galilee, actually, and we had this young Jewish kid he took us out on a boat, and he had a, a Bluetooth speaker, and he would play worship music because all his P 
people, all the, all the tourists, were Christians, right? He would take Christians out on the Sea of Galilee. You want to be where Jesus walked on water and all of that. And so we're out there, and we're talking to this kid who, who makes all his money, you know, or his living through being around Christians. He listens to worship music. I think he had, like, Bethel music playing or something like that. And we're like, what's this like for you? Like, what do you think of Jesus? And um, he said, I still remember what he said. He said, he said, huh. He said, I'm just another Jewish kid waiting for the Messiah. But the Mount of Transfiguration is Jesus' declaration that the waiting is over. The fulfillment has come. He's standing, he's appearing next to Elijah as a representation that the fulfillment has arrived of all those prophetic words. And in just the same way that Moses appears on the Mount of Transfiguration is, is Jesus declaring that all the requirements of the law have been fulfilled. That in Jesus, he has taken on the whole obligation, the whole debt payment, right? All the ceremonies, all the rituals, all the sacrifices have now been taken care of one time and for all in what Jesus is just about to do on the cross, right? He has fulfilled the prophets and he has fulfilled the law. The Mount of Transfiguration, friends, make no mistakes, is the revealing of the true identity of Jesus. Okay? It is Jesus beginning to show, this is who I truly am. And I'm not sure if you're going to be able to get it. I don't know if you can wrap your head around it. I mean, we still can't, 2,000 years. But he's saying, this is who I truly am. I am the one the prophets spoke of, and I am the lamb who can fulfill the law. But here's, here's the other piece. It doesn't just reveal to us who Jesus is. It also reveals to us what Jesus came to do. Okay? So let's, let's, let's have a look what Peter's doing, old sleepy Peter. Um, if you look in verse 33, Peter's finally woken up, apparently, and he has an idea. He has an idea. And his idea is let's build tents. Let's camp out here. Who likes some camping? Come on. I know some of you guys get out there. I envy you. I, I like the... I like the idea of camping, um, the reality of it, not as much, but conceptually, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> but Peter's like, let's build some tents, right? I mean, he's, he's woken up now, and he's like, let's stay up here. This is amazing. Jesus, you're glowing. <laughs> and Moses and Elijah are totally my childhood heroes, they're here with us. We should stay here. I'm loving hanging out with you guys, and we should stay here, and let's just build some tents, and we can hang out up on this mountain. Like, what else would we want to do? Now, we can read that, and we can think, well, okay, that's not so bad. I mean, glowing Jesus, Moses, Elijah, like, why wouldn't you want to stay? Like, surely Peter's heart is in the right place. You know, he might be saying the wrong thing, but his heart's in the right place. Friends, hear me on this. Peter's heart is not in the right place. Peter's heart is not in the right place. And the reason we know Peter's heart is not in the right place is because of the conversation that happens directly before the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter has a very specific agenda in mind. 
Peter has a plan, and it, it is revealed in that conversation. The best account of that conversation is not in Luke. It's actually in the book of Matthew, Matthew 16. But it's the story where Jesus asks Peter, he says, who do you say I am? Remember that story? And Peter gets that one right. He's like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it. Well done. But then what Jesus does is he said, yeah, I am the Christ, and this is what it means for me to be the Christ. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be brutalized, and I'm going to be crucified. And yes, I'm going to rise again, but before there's a resurrection, there has to be a death. And there's going to be a lot of suffering and a lot of humiliation. There's going to be some really bad things that are going to happen to me, Peter. Yeah, you're right, I am the Christ, and this is what it means for me to live out my divinity. All of these things are going to happen to me, right? You got my identity right, but this is what I got to do. And Peter, remember what Peter, he's like, no, never, Lord, never. That's not going to happen. And do you remember what Jesus calls Peter? Satan, wow, if you want to elevate an argument, <laughs> I've, I've been in disagreements with people before, I don't think I've ever called someone Satan. He calls him Satan, get behind me, Satan. We'll come back to that. Uh, Peter, Peter has a vision of who Jesus should be and what Jesus should do. He's very excited that the Messiah has arrived. He gets that part. He's very excited about this. But his, his vision does not involve crucifixion. It does not involve dying for your enemies. In fact, it involves defeating your enemies. <laughs> and very specifically, it involves defeating the Roman Empire under whose oppression the Jewish people had been suffering. And Peter has a vision that, yeah, the Messiah has finally arrived and he's going to lead a grand rebellion against Rome. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, no, 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 actually, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. That's what's going to happen. And so, fast forward again back to the mountain of transfiguration. And it says here, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, they're having a very specific conversation. I don't know if you picked this up. But in verse 31, it says they are speaking about Jesus' departure. Did you notice that? Can you imagine getting to listen to that conversation? I mean, it's incredible. They're speaking about his departure. And this is really significant. It's especially significant because the word departure in the Greek is the word exodus. They are speaking about the exodus of Jesus. Now, and Moses is right there. <laughs> Remember, a couple thousand years earlier, Moses led his own exodus. He led the people out of slavery, out of bondage from Pharaoh, right? He led them into freedom and then led them towards the promised land. Moses himself didn't quite get there, but he got really close. And he led this amazing exodus. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah about an exodus he's about to lead. And he's also going to lead the people out of slavery. And he's going to lead them out of bondage. And he's going to lead them 
to the promised land except the things that Jesus is leading them into are eternal freedom and eternal liberation and eternal promised land, right? He's talking about an exodus that he is about to lead except the difference is this. Moses' victory came because they defeated the enemy and Jesus is saying, no, no, actually my victory is going to come not by defeating my enemy on the battlefield but by dying for my enemy on the, on the cross, And Peter's catching wind of it. And he's not down with this at all. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's stay here. Just us guys hanging out on the mountain. Let's not do this exodus thing. Let's not do this crucifixion thing. That's not the plan. I, I, we, we can talk about this. We can figure it out. Peter has a very very specific agenda in mind and the revelation of who he is seeing in Jesus is not meeting his picture right the, the reality is it turns out that Peter is actually less interested in who Jesus really is and more interested in who he wants Jesus to be He's less interested in the real revelation, what's actually coming out about what Jesus is telling him and what he's seeing on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's very interested in what he really wants Jesus to be like. <clears throat> Let me take a little detour here. Um, has anyone watched any cult documentaries in the last few months? Mallory. Anyone else willing to, at least Mallory was honest. Yeah, I knew there was others. Yeah. Me too. There's some really good ones out there right now. Um, a few of my favorites, uh, Twin Flames Universe. Has anyone watched that? Oh my gosh. Whew. Uh, there's one called Love Has One, Mother God. Uh, there's actually a really good one uh, on the Waco, Texas stuff, the Branch Davidians that happened back in the 90s. So it's, it's a little kind of flavor of the month, I think. Most streaming services are coming out with these like cult documentaries right now. So um, they're all different, they're all unique, but they do have some very similar themes, I want to say. There are some, some consistent things about this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a charitable view here, okay? So just keep that in mind when I say what I'm going to say next. Charitable lens. I think consistently, for the most part, they all start out wanting to do something good. Charitable view, I get it. Like, okay, so Twin Flames Universe, if you haven't seen that, it's about finding your twin flames, this whole cult that starts, your, your true love, right? I mean, the idea behind it is like, good, I want to help people find their twin flame. Um, even the Waco, Texas stuff, like they're trying to create this utopian community of, of peace and love and joy, right? It starts out in a good place. Now, there are some other really consistent themes as well. They, they also, um, at some level, have this connection with God. So they're talking about God. God's saying this. They're trying to follow God. They're trying to hear from God. They're trying to connect people with God, right? They also all go completely crazy. Um, usually, it's like some... Some combination of money, sex, power, or, you know, one of those three, they all get very, very corrupted. But here's the other really consistent thing I found, and I've watched at least three, three that I mentioned. I think it might be one other in the last few months. Um, the way they talk about God as the group gets more and more corrupted changes, 
And so at the beginning, they're usually using language like, you know, we're hearing from God. What does God say? We want to follow God, like this kind of stuff. Somewhere along the way, without fail, in all of these documentaries, no longer are they talking about God. Now they are God. It's very, somewhere like episode four or five. It just shifted. And so now it's not, let's hear what God has to say. Now it's, I am God, you hear what I have to say, right? Now it's not, let's try and follow God. It's, now it's, you follow me because I am God. This could be, make some terrible sound bites, I'm just realizing. So just be uh, merciful <laughs> the podcast. But it's this amazing shift, right? Where all of a sudden, no longer are they following God. Now I have become God and you need to follow me. And it's this, here's the reminder. Here's what it really highlighted again to me. It's the same theme that is coming out more subtly in Peter's life. Is that if we're not being transformed into the likeness of God, friends, we will transform God into the likeness of us. If we're not being transformed, if we are not actively following and seeking and hearing God, we will create God. (laughs) We will find a way to create a version of God that we like. A version of God that fits with my preferences, a version of God that doesn't make me too uncomfortable, a version of God that doesn't really require that much of me. As soon as we stop following and seeking and aligning with God's word and listening to his spirit, friends, we stop worshiping God. We start worshiping some idle version of ourselves. And the Mount of Transfiguration, right, it's this, it's this critical moment because Jesus is revealing his true identity, right? Moses and Elijah are just part of that story. Look who this is the law, the prophets, everything that was prophesied, everything that was required in the law is being fulfilled in in Jesus. And up to that point, Peter's kind of good with it. He's like, yeah, okay, I got that. Remember, Remember Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? And he said, you're the Christ. And it's like, you're doing really well, Peter. But then Jesus starts revealing in the Exodus, not just who he is, but what he's come to do. And at that point, Peter's like, I'm not sure I like this God anymore. Let's slow down. Let's slow down. I'm not sure. This is, this is what I really signed up for. And yet, Jesus is saying to Peter, and he's saying to us again and again and again, if we're listening, I'm not just who you want me to be. <laughs> I do not fit neatly in your agendas. I do not fit neatly in your political ideologies. I'm not going to sign up for your cause. In fact, if you're smart, you need to sign up for my cause, right? There is such a danger when we take our eyes off of the true revelation of Jesus, the revelation through the Bible and the counsel of the Christian church over thousands of years, right? Is that we begin to cultivate a picture of God that fits with the things we really wish he was like. And guys, the reason that Jesus calls Peter Satan is not because he is Satan, right? It's not like Jesus turned around and like, whoa, Satan! You know, I mean, it's like... (laughs) 
The reason Jesus calls Peter Satan is because he's doing exactly what Satan always does. Satan has one play, and he runs it in different ways, but he's been running it since the garden, and he's just like, apparently it's a good play. He's like, run that back, run it back, run it back, right? And you know what his play is? His play is try to get us to form God into our image instead of allowing ourselves to be formed into God's image. And he, he'll run it in all sorts of different ways. But you think about the temptation of the garden, right? Did God really say, why don't you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then you can decide what is good and what is evil? You don't need to worship God. You can become God. You don't need to submit your life to the moral authority of the creator of the universe. Like, you just decide yourself what's good and what is evil, right? That is Satan inviting us to mold our own idolatry, to begin to worship ourselves. And it's the same play that Satan has been running over and over and over again. Friends, but the reality is this, and this is, this is what this is what Jesus says to Peter after he calls him Satan, and he kind of keeps going, right? Here's the reality. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to take up your cross. It is an invitation to deny yourself. It, there's no way, other way to say it, right? It is an invitation to lose your life, and then in losing your life, actually Find the eternal quality of life that only the true Jesus can actually bring. It's not a smorgasbord. It's not a pick your poison. It's not a choose what works for me. And I like this bit of God, but I'm not so sure about this bit. And I just kind of create God into my own image. Jesus does not give us any leeway in that. In fact, C.S. Lewis says that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or his Lord. The great trilemma, right? There's no in between. It's either... It's either complete absurdity and we should just all go and grab dinner right now, right? Or it is actually something worth laying your life down for, your whole life. And not saying, what are the bits of God and Jesus I like and I'll just take that, but I'll leave that. But actually saying, hey, there's some things about me that need to die and I need to be, I need to under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, learn even more about what God has for me, and I need to be sanctified and reformed in His image. It is an invitation to take up your cross, to die to the flesh, and be resurrected in the Spirit every day, and we are all on that journey, friends. And I love this series, we called it, So Our Hearts Will Burn. So our hearts will burn and, you know, that comes from the story at the end of the Gospel of Luke where the two disciples encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus and they say, didn't our hearts burn within us, right? And we want to be people whose hearts burn for Jesus, but the reality is, if you're anything like me, there are plenty of times where my heart isn't burning, it's cold. We go through seasons where it's like, I don't feel like I have a burning heart for Jesus. And friends, I, I want to challenge you to ask yourself 
that question, if, if you find yourself in that season right now, to ask yourself the question, have I created Jesus in my image instead of being made into his? Because the reality is your heart will never truly burn for a counterfeit Jesus. You cannot burn for a counterfeit Jesus, right? Jesus says that true worship is worship in what? Spirit and what? Truth. Spirit and truth. It is only the true and costly revelation of Jesus that can give eternal life. In John 6, when all these disciples leave him and the ones that remain, they say, where else would we go? Because only you have the words of eternal life. It's only the true and beautiful and compelling but costly beauty of Jesus that our hearts can actually burn for. And so we need to be asking ourselves, have I created a comfortable Jesus? Have I created a convenient Jesus? Have I created a political Jesus? Have I created a good on Sundays Jesus? Have I created a, you know, I'll come this far but not any further Jesus, right? Have I molded Jesus into my preference instead of actually being willing to submit to the Lordship, the revelation, saying, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I want. That's what I want because just like the disciples said, only you have the words of eternal life. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. And so Jesus, we bless you and we thank you. We thank you That even though following you can cost us so much, the treasure, the reward, the joy of knowing fellowship with our Savior is so much greater still. And God, we just confess that every single one of us battle with this this inner turmoil. The things we feel, the things we think, the desires... Some of them are good, some of them not so good, Lord, and sometimes we have a hard time telling the difference, but Lord, we just thank you that you guide us on that journey, and Father, I pray that even tonight we would recommit ourselves to that journey of sanctification. Maybe there's even some examining you want us to do of our own hearts, places where our hearts are cold. Places where our hearts have grown hard. Father, I pray there's anything like that right now, that by your spirit, you'd shine light on that and you'll begin to help us see what are some things we might need to repent of. What are some things that we need to encounter afresh in who you are and what you're calling us into? God, we want to be a people who burn. We want our hearts to be alive and a light in fellowship with you. And Jesus, we just say yes to every part of it. We say yes to the things that cost us, to the things that revive us, to the things that comfort us and the things that challenge us. Because we know you are found in all of that. We want the true Jesus. May it not be said of us that we created a comfortable Sunday convenient Jesus. 
May it not be said of us that our view of who Jesus is was just blown by whatever was popular in the world at the time. May it be the revelation. May you keep us on track. May you convict us when we've gone to the left or to the right, even by a little bit. May you pull us back to the true north. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so, Jesus, we bless you and all God's people said. to this week's message i pray that you know the presence of the spirit the love of the father and the goodness of jesus wherever you find yourself god bless